All right, Habakkuk chapter 3 this morning, Habakkuk chapter 3. Again, we've been in this series for the past four or five weeks now. We've got today's message, and Lord willing, we'll finish up next week. Uh, technically, I probably could finish up today, but I want to kind of stretch it out because there's so much jam-packed in this third chapter that we're going to look about. And we've talked about so many different things, so many different aspects. And as the title suggests, when God doesn't, and it's not saying God doesn't do things, the point of emphasis that we were trying to make the first couple of weeks is that there are times where we feel like God isn't there, that God is maybe being unfair, that he's not looking at the injustice in the world, that he's not answering our prayers, that he's not meeting our expectations, but the reality is God is there. And Habakkuk, really, the, the, the point of emphasis that I love about the story in this book is the, is the fact that Habakkuk is really doing what many of us would do. And what I mean by that is Habakkuk is just questioning God, asking God certain things that many of us have probably asked God or questioned at times. And what he was expecting was God to answer in his way. What he wasn't expecting is how God did answer Habakkuk that I am going to answer, but it's not going to be how you think it's going to be. And the point of emphasis, again, is the fact that Judah had problems. They were in sin. They were in um, captivity with Babylon, and, and uh, Habakkuk wanted God to take care of Judah, to take care of their sin. But God answered him and basically said, I'm going to take care of her sin, but I'm going to use the wicked nation of Babylon. And again, it didn't make any sense to him because Babylon was a very, very, very wicked nation. It would be like any kind of wicked terroristic organization coming in to the church and God saying, I'm going to use this terroristic organization to then purify the church. For us, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And in Habakkuk's mind, it didn't make sense at all. And what we've seen thus far in the first really couple chapters is that Habakkuk started out in fear, just afraid of what was going on and what was transpiring in his life. But as we're going to look at today, and as we'll look at in, in the close of next week, Habakkuk has moved from fear to faith, from burden to blessing, from perplexity to praise. And it's just an amazing book. Now, before we read these verses this morning, let me ask you a question. How many have ever felt at times in your life that you've, like you've lost your way? Anybody ever felt like you've lost your way? All right, let me ask this question. And we're going to go deeper into some of these aspects in the EQ time with the adults, but... How many have ever had that deja vu experience? You ever have deja vu experience? Uh, don't you just love that? Don't you just love it? Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Uh, anybody want to share just a quick like, little deja vu experience you had? Anybody? Anybody at all? Anybody at all? Anybody at all? Anybody at all? Going once, going twice. What about me? I can't think of it. I feel like I've been here before. Last week. Now, there's times where I preach, and I'm like, I feel like I just preached that very same message in the same fashion. Like, I don't know if it's a dream or what. Anyway, uh, I think all of us have had deja vu experiences, and some of us just don't want to share those things. That's okay. That's okay. But in Habakkuk 3, we're going to stand and read some of these verses in just a second. But it's an amazing chapter. This is a prayer, but more than a prayer, this is a song. And what we're going to learn today and next week is that this is a prayer or a song when you feel like you're barely surviving. This past week on our podcast, my wife and I, we talked a little bit about the importance of not going through life in survival mode. And many of us are just trying to hang on and, and barely survive, but God did not intend for us to just survive life, did he? God intended us to thrive in the Christian life, and that's 
what he wants of us, of his children. So let's go ahead and stand if you could. We're going to read just a couple verses this morning, and then we're going to jump into this passage today, the first 15 verses. So as we see, verse number one, it kind of gives the title, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet of, upon uh, Shigianah. But skip down to verse number 19. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hind's feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. And then verse 19 gives us an understanding a little bit more of what this is. To the chief singer on my stringed instrument. So again, this is a song. There are three times in this passage that we see the word selah or selah or however you want to say it. And as I've said before in other messages and other uh, uh, sermon series, that selah is basically, it's a purposeful pause, but it's also referencing uh, musical connotation. It could be a crescendo. It could be just a, a, a slight pause as you're transitioning to the next piece. So we see an amazing song, an amazing prayer of Habakkuk as he's finally understanding a little bit more of what God is doing. God is finally starting to make sense in some ways to him, but it's an amazing prayer. It's an amazing song of worship as he's pouring his heart out to God. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll dig into it this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your uh, word this morning that we're going to study. We thank you so much for all the, the special music and the, the time of worship that we've had. And God, I pray that you would help us today and next week as we close out this amazing series. I pray that you would help us to, to learn, not, not necessarily just to repeat what Habakkuk is pre, uh, repeating, but help us to learn to have a song of worship that we, we go to you, that we speak of your goodness, of your grace, of all of the amazing things that you have done. I pray that you'd help us to fear you more. And what I, what I mean by that is to have a, a healthy respect and an awe and admiration for who you are. And Lord, this has been an amazing study for at least myself, because there are a lot of times where we look around the world and say, God, what, what are you doing? God, why aren't you answering my request? Why aren't you doing what I assume you should do or what I expect you to do? And that's where about was. And the answer that you gave him at first didn't necessarily meet what he thought you should do, but as he sees here in chapter 3, you're still God. You've moved in the past, and I believe you'll move in the future. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless us for the next few minutes as we study your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. You see, God inspired Habakkuk to give ancient Israel, Judah, this song to sing to encourage them to keep their eyes on the Lord, especially during times of difficulty. This was a song according to Shigianoth, as we read in verse number one, and it's a term of musical arrangement. It's also a term found in the book of Psalms, chapter number seven. Now, we don't fully know the, the full intent of all of this, but we do know that it's musical instruction on how to sing this song. The Bible has a lot to say about singing. We've been talking in Revelation for the past 26 weeks, I guess, now, and, and Wednesday nights. And there's a lot of reference when you look at heaven and the aspect of heaven. There are a lot of times where people are singing out in praise and admiration and, and respect and all in worship of God. And I, I think I made a statement on Wednesday, and it's true for us today. Our faith as a Christian has always been, been a singing faith and will continue to be a singing faith for all eternity. You know, that's not the point of the message today. But again, as a pastor, sometimes, you know, you want people to sing out as we have times of worship. And some people, they just, they stand there with their arms crossed. You know, I don't like this song, whatever. But if you're a Christian, if you're saved, you have much to praise God for. So much. 
at least, if anything else, which this is a big thing, the fact that he saved you, that he saved your soul, that he died on the cross for your sins, that alone should be reason enough to praise God, to sing out in worship. And, and uh, Amanda and I are going to talk a little bit more about this in EQ a little bit later, and I can't wait for that. But our faith has always been a singing faith and will continue to be for all eternity. And what Habakkuk is showing us really and showing the people of Judah is that they often had a habit of singing, even in captivity. And here's the truth. I don't know what I have in your notes because I can't remember what I put in there. But sometimes it's when we feel the least like singing when we need to sing the most. Sometimes when we feel the least like singing when we need to sing the most. And I, get, and I know everyone might have a song that you go to. It might not necessarily be a worship song. It's just your jam song or whatever it is. But... <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't know what the jam song is. Like, mine is, uh, I don't know. All, the only thing I could think of that popped in my head was like, everything is awesome, everything is cool. <laughs> Too many kids. Uh, anyway, I, never mind. Um, I was trying to think of all these other Disney songs as well. But uh, <laughs> whatever your song is, uh, singing does help. It really does. Now, singing can set a lot of different moods. You know, you can, you, know, you start singing like, man, I'm just really depressed. Uh, <laughs> This is great. But really, when you sing to God, it shouldn't depress you, right? No, it should, it should invoke a, a spirit of worship and praise and admiration. And, and uh, even in our podcast, and I encourage you to continue to listen to that if you haven't, but I think it was our last episode that Amanda talked about a song that has really impacted her in the past several weeks and several months. And it's a song we've sung before, but Song Waymaker, so many powerful words in that song. And I was even listening to it this morning and it kind of references really this, this chapter in Habakkuk 3. You know, God had, the point of emphasis that I'm trying to make is that God has done so much for us. So much for us in our lives. And it's very easy to focus on the negative, isn't it? It's very easy to focus on all the things that we don't like. And that's where Habakkuk started. He started focusing on all the things that he didn't like, that he didn't understand. But now he's realizing that, okay, I just have to sing out to God. Sing out to God in worship and in praise. And that's it. Sometimes when we feel the least like singing, when we need to sing the most. You know, there's an old song, and it's basically it's God wants to hear you sing. He does. When the waves are crashing around you, when, you know, the, the fiery darts surround you, when circumstances are, are greater than you can imagine, God wants to hear you sing of praise to God, of worship to him. And what we're going to learn this morning is that this song in Habakkuk 3 is meant as a reminder for God's people to sing in the hard times, to sing in the difficult moments, to remind them that God is good, not just sometimes, but all times, that God loves us, that he has a purpose for our lives, even when things don't make sense. You know, Judah specifically, because that's who it was written to, they were about to endure the destruction of everything that was important to them. They would have to endure when they felt like God had abandoned them. And this song was there when Babylon would destroy their temple and the people were in exile. This song was meant to guide them in worship. And this song told Judah how to worship even when they lost their way. And it's the reason why we have it today, some 2,600 years later. It's a song of reminder. And really, the, 
the point I'm trying to make this morning, or the, what we're going to look at is, you know, what do you do when you feel like you've lost your way? First thing is this. Cry out to God in worship. Cry out to God in worship. Verse number one again says, A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet upon Shiginoth. O Lord. Now, I want you to note that, that first two words there in verse number two. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. Here's what Habakkuk is doing. He, he started questioning God's justice, God's fairness in chapter 1 in the first few verses. And now, everything that he has learned about God in chapter 2, when God explained to him what he was going to do to wicked Babylon, that they were going to get theirs and what was coming to them. And even the mightiest of empires, within a hundred years from this point, was going to be decimated was going to be destroyed. And the point of emphasis that God was trying to make is that his kingdom is not just temporary. His kingdom is eternal. His kingdom always lasts, no matter what is going on in the world. God has always been, always will be. And what Habakkuk is now blown away with is the fact that God is invincible. He is unstoppable. He is unassailable. And in chapter 3, this prayer in faith is asking God, at the end of verse number 2, to remember mercy. Yes, I know, God, you have to pour out your wrath upon Judah for their sin and, and even upon Babylon. But, God, I pray that you would, you would remember us in mercy and, and save your people from our wickedness, even as you have to punish your enemies. And there's so much more we can talk about in that verse, and we probably will at other times. But the very first two words, as I referenced just a minute ago, in verse number two, it says, O Lord, and it's all capitalized. That's because in the Hebrew, it's the name of God or Yahweh. Habakkuk was not talking to some generic God. He was talking to the God of Israel, the God that we have and the God that we serve today. This was the God that presented himself to Moses at the burning bush, the great I am. Had a whole series on that around Christmas time. You know, addressing God personally, here's what Habakkuk is basically saying. God, I have heard the reports about your works. As he said, I heard your speech. God, there's certain things that I've never witnessed personally, but I've heard those things. God, I, I grew up in, in Sunday school, and, and I heard the stories of how you helped your people cross the Red Sea and escape the bondage of the Egyptians and slavery. God, I wasn't there to experience those things. And I know that you have showed up in a big way in the past. So God, I'm, I'm asking that you show up again in a huge way today. He continued on. I have heard thy speech, and really it's referencing all that, and was afraid. Now, this isn't a terror, like I'm going into a, you know, a haunted house and I'm, I'm, I'm afraid for my life. When he's saying I was afraid, O oh Lord, he's saying this, that he had a healthy awe and respect and admiration for who God is. And the more I've been thinking about this week, the thing that stands out to me is that I feel like, especially in our American culture and American churches, I feel like this is a key component that is missing in our churches. A healthy fear of God. A healthy fear of who God is, of what he has done for us, of what he is going to do. You see, if we truly had a healthy fear of God, a healthy respect and admiration and awe of God, the reality is we wouldn't do certain things, right? 
We wouldn't live certain ways, but the reality is for myself and others in here, we don't have a healthy fear of God. Like Habakkuk was saying, oh, he's just some guy up there, you know, he's there to cater to my needs. No, 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 he's not. He is the God of the universe, and he controls all things. And again, so much we can say about that, but this is a key factor in Christian's life that we need to have a healthy, healthy fear, respect, admiration, all for who God is. But his song continued as he says in verse number two, O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years make known, in wrath remember mercy. You know, this phrase in the Hebrew, in the midst of the years, it's basically a Hebrew saying or Hebrew way of saying, God, in my lifetime, God, I want you to revive your work. I want you to do something great in my lifetime right now, as soon as possible. God, please show up again, just like you did in the past. God, show up again to save your people and to make your awesome power known. And then he added, in wrath, remember mercy. You know, we talked, we sang the song today, his mercy is more. It is so much more. But the reason there's a need for mercy is because of the wrath of God at times that is poured out. And again, just so much already in these first two verses, but here's, here's the picture that I'm getting. It's almost as if that Habakkuk is kind of looking back at old pictures. He's looking back at snapshots from his life. How many ever do that? You just kind of go back through your memories and look back at pictures. Don't, let me ask that. Why do we do that? Anybody? What? To reminisce. to reminisce. Yes. Why else? Why do we do that? What? You're bored. Okay. <laughs> Justin pulls out the big book and I'm bored. I'm going to look at my, my childhood. Uh, anybody else? Why do we do those things? Why do we look back at old pictures? Reminds us of things we forgot. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so there's so many other things. You can think about some things, but I came across some old pictures that we want to show. I did. Don't worry, it's not about you. Let's go ahead and pop those up. There we go, man. Check out these pictures. Who is that, Julie? She's like, that's my dad. Now, I got permission before I could use these pictures. I did ask. I did ask. There were some specifications with it, but I got permission. So uh, these are snapshots of Justin when he was a child. I was going to have more, but I didn't want to embarrass him too much. We can go on to the, just another slide. <laughs> that is good stuff. That's why you guys came today, for Noah's like, whoop, 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 and then that. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of reasons. You know, we, we want to reminisce. We want to look back. It's kind of remindful of what happened. And, and in my mind, it's kind of like Habakkuk is looking back at old pictures. And he's remembering the way it used to be. And he's seeing these snapshots of God. Basically, again, God, I've seen you work in the past. I was about to say, you know, God, I had a cool haircut back in the past. You know, bring it back. <laughs> I had someone else, you know, get, send me a picture, uh, I think yesterday, and like, it was when they had a mullet. I'm like, man, hashtag bring back the mullet for them, not me. But uh, <laughs> anyway, the point he's making is, God, don't forget to show us your mercy. And here's the point I'm trying to make this morning. As I said, cry out to God in worship. Remind God of his promises. And plead for mercy. 
And here's what we learn as we continue on. We must adore God for who he is and praise God for what he's done. Adore God for who he is and praise God for what he has done. You see, here's an important truth. If you want to know God's presence, you have to begin with worship. Worship is one of the key stops that make you again and again go from doubt to faith. But so many people don't truly worship God, and that's why they live in doubt. That's why they live in survival mode. That's why they are, in a sense, clinging to the driftwood of life. So the first thing we see is that we should cry out to God in worship. The second thing we see in verses 3 through 15 that covers a lengthy portion of this passage is this. See what cannot be seen. See what cannot be seen. I'll explain it here in just a second. But these verses, before I read them, they describe for us what many theologians call a theophany. It's a word literally means an appearance of God. Up to this point in history, no man, no human has seen God or can see God because he's too great, he's too powerful, he is too majestic and too holy. 1 Timothy 6.16 tells us that God lives in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. Exodus 33, God told Moses that no man can see him and live. So in a theophany, people do not actually see God. What they see is visible markers of his presence. And when we look around in creation, history, and the present day, we don't necessarily see God, but what we see is the presence of God all around. Look with me in verse number three as we walk through this. God came from Timon. Timon. I'll explain that in just a second. He came from Timon and in the holy part from Mount Paran. Selah. Pause. Stop. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. Again, this is Habakkuk's song, his prayer to God, remembering God for who he is, for what he's done. His brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of his hand and there was hiding of his power before him went the pestilence and burning coals went forth at his feet. I know some of this language you're like, I don't even know what it's talking about. I'll explain it. He stood and measured the earth and behold, uh, he drove asunder the nations and the everlasting mountain were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan and affliction and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Was thine anger against the rivers? Was thy wrath against the sea? that thou didst ride upon thy horses and thy chariots of salvation. Thy bow was made quite naked according to the oaths of the tribes, even the word Selah. Pause. Thou didst cleave the earth with rivers. The mountains saw thee and they trembled. The overflowing of water passed by and the deep uttered his voice and lifted up his hands on high. The sun, the moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of thine arrows, they went out at the shining and the glittering spear, that it's marched through the land of indignation, that it's threshed the heathen in anger, that went forth for the salvation of thy people, even for salvation, when thine, with thine anointed thou woundest the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation unto the next, Selah, that it strike through with the staves the head of the villages. They came out as a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was as to devour the poor secretly, 
Thou didst walk through the sea with thine horses through the heap of great waters. And again, some of this language, you're like, what is it even talking about? Habakkuk 3, again, remarks or presents a remarkable theophany of a God in highly visual poetic language. You know, on Mount Sinai, God appeared to Moses, even though he could not see his face. This is a little bit different. You see, on Mount Sinai, it's where God gave the Ten Commandments. And there was thunder, there was lightning, there was fire, there was smoke, there was a great earthquake, the sound of a trumpet. It was growing louder and louder and louder. The people of Israel did not see God on that day, but I can guarantee you that no one was asking, I wonder if God is there. Because they knew he was there by his presence, by what they heard. And again, these verses are jam-packed with imagery, and Habakkuk is realizing a very important point, the fact that God is presence. He has always been presence through all of history and will always be present until the end of history. And what he is talking about, let's check it out. Back in verse number three, it talks about Teman. What is Teman? It is a place in the southern desert area of Judah in the territory of the Edomites. What is Mount Paran? It's the mountains in the wilderness. So why did Habakkuk bring up these locations? Well, scholars tell us that he was roughly tracing the route that Israel followed during the exodus out of Egypt. In the exodus, God showed up with might and power to save his people from the genocide of the Egyptians. And when God saved his people from Egypt, he led them to Mount Sinai, into the promised land. And Habakkuk said that during the exodus, God's splendor covered the heavens as he led them with the, the cloud and the pillar of fire, all of the, the amazing things that God did. And that's what Habakkuk is, is saying here. All of those things revealed God's goodness, revealed God's power, revealed God's majesty. And the point that Habakkuk is making is that God rules over the nations. He rules over nature. He marches towards his enemy of the people like an unstoppable army approaches for battle. Verse number six. He has horses and chariots of salvation. Verse number eight. He's the divine warrior with bow and arrow and spear in verses 9 and 11. He threshes the nations in verse 12, meaning he will separate the righteous from the unrighteous. And here's just a couple quick highlights from these verses. First of all, his brilliance is more than we can handle. God's brilliance is more than we can handle. The second thing, his presence is more than creation can endure. Again, no one at this point in history has ever seen the face of God. No human can ever see the face of God because his brilliance is more than we can handle. His presence is more than creation can endure. Third thing, he stands over the earth. You know, it's like, a, I think a song we mentioned a couple weeks ago, when did I forget that he has always been the king of the world? God has always been the king of the world, and sometimes we forget that. His reign is worldwide. It's not just local. You know, Babylon was trying to conquer the known world, and they had conquered a lot of areas, but their reign lasted about 100 years after this point. But God's reign is eternal, which means there is no end. Another thing, his enemies will be conquered. His power is displayed over creation. Why? To save his people. This is who God is. And this is what Habakkuk song is all about. He is trying to 
remind himself, remind Judah, and really even us, 2,600 years later, who God is and what he has done. And that's what we have to do, church. We have to first, we have to cry out to God and worship, and then we have to see what cannot be seen. And what I'm talking about, you cannot literally see God, but you see his power on display all, all over creation. You see his power on display all in your lives, do you not? Just look at your life, and if you really look, you see that God is working, that God has been working, that God is working, and that God will be working. Well, he's not working the way I want him to work, but he's working the way that he needs to work for your betterments. And there are things that happen in our life that don't make sense, that we don't like. All of us can raise our hand and attest to the fact. You ever had something happen in your life you don't like? Yes, we have. Something that doesn't make sense? Yes, all of us. But God is working all things for his glory, for our good, for our betterments, to make us more like our creator. And so throughout this poem, Habakkuk has expertly used imagery that not only details the defeat of God's enemy, but also recalls God's saving act for his people. The deliverance from Egypt, the exodus of the crossing of the Red Sea, and that's an amazing story. The giving of the Ten Commandments, their wandering in the wilderness, the conquest of the promised land, David, the anointed king and the coming Messiah who would bring salvation for his people, talking about Jesus. And there are times in our life where we wonder, is, is God there? Is God in, in this world? Because there are times, honestly, where it's like, I don't think he is. But his presence is all around us. And here's the point I'm trying to make, and we're going to, all, all of this is going to tie much, much greater in next week. But you see, Habakkuk's prayer needs to be our prayer. Here's what I mean. That even in pain and suffering, even in the midst of difficulty and circumstances that we don't like, that we see God's presence and that he would be more real to us than ever imagined. That's what I believe Habakkuk is trying to get across to his people, to Judah. I want you to see God's presence. I want you to know that he is real, that he is present, that he knows your struggles. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows the injustice in the world. He knows all of the things that are going on that you don't like. But you know what? He's always saved his people and he always will. Now, it might not be in the way that we imagine, but even as we looked at in Revelation, as we're looking at, that it's going to come to fruition. He's finally going to say, you know what? Enough is enough. And he will vindicate all of the saints and all those that have given their life to Christ and have been crushed. In verse 13 through 15, we're not going to read it again, but you know, basically when you study this passage deeper in the original language, here's the verbiage that, that Habakkuk is referencing to God. He, basically, God, you came out. You crushed, you, you stripped, you pierced, you trampled. So when I, when I read that, when I study it deeper, what that speaks to me when I see something that someone came out, they crushed their enemies, they, they stripped them, they pierced them, they trampled over them, that sounds like someone that's victorious, right?
Again, he came out. He crushed, he stripped, he pierced, he trampled. This is who God is. This is what God does. And the application for all of us, many people haven't found God big enough for modern problems. Well, the problems that we suffer through today are just too big for God. At least that's what we think, or that's what we allow the story of our lives to say. But God is bigger. And some of us, honestly, we don't have a big enough God that we view, that we serve, that we worship. And I want you to write these down if you're taking notes. If you had a bigger God, which the God of the universe is big enough, if you had a bigger God, you wouldn't worry as much. Let's just start right there. Look, we all worry. I worry. I struggle with that. It's something I have to constantly, continually give to God. And I, I think a lot of it, as I've studied these, these passages and I've studied this book, it's, it's the fact that my view of God wasn't big enough. That I was saying, God, I don't think you can handle this situation. This situation is too great. So I'm going to worry about it, and that's going to solve everything, right? Because my worry helps everything, right? Anybody, right? I mean, you understand what I'm saying in my sarcasm. But we do that. We worry about things that we cannot control. We make situations up that we think are going to happen that most of the time never happen. But I think what it comes down to is that our view of God is not big enough. We don't think God can handle our problems, our situation. But if we had a bigger God, we wouldn't worry as much. Second, if we had a bigger God, we would be stronger in moments of crisis. Instead of moments of crisis, we're just devastated and we fall back in sin and we fall back to old lifestyles. We would be stronger knowing that God has seen us through in the past. He'll see us through in the future. But obviously our view of God isn't that big. Third thing, if we had a bigger God, and this really goes to a lot of series that we've talked about, we would point others to him. And all, look, all, all three of these so far, they hit me. They cut deep because I struggle with worry. I've had moments of crisis where I, I wasn't stronger. I wasn't stronger in those moments of crisis. My faith failed. I followed my fear instead of my faith. There's been many times where instead of pointing others to him, I really probably drove other people from Christ because they saw my life. And I'm sure you could probably say the same thing. And really, the picture of your life probably says that. I don't care that you come to church. I mean, I do care, but just because you come to church doesn't mean everything is great in your life and you're serving God and you're worshiping God and you're thriving in your Christian life. That doesn't mean anything. Coming to church, that's, that's what you should do as a Christian. But there are a lot of other things that you should do as well in the world as a Christian. You should live the Christian life, not just here, but everywhere else. But again, what do we, what do, we do? We like to put on our mask. Not, you know, for COVID, but... We like to, to mask up, to have, you know, it's like we, we want people to see something that we're not. And it's, it's funny, it really is. You know, in, in a sense, people put on this charade, they put on this mask, so to speak, as they come to church, and, and pastor will never know. Miss Amanda will never know. They'll, they'll never know what I'm really going with. Now, I, we may never know specifics, but you can see through people. You can see through the fakes, the hypocrites. And the reality is in churches like this and all across the country, there are a lot of hypocrites. There are a lot of people that come and play the show 
on Sunday morning and don't live it out there in the world. And as a Christian, it goes back to the Acts series, which we'll get to probably in the next month or two, but we have been commissioned, right? We are to live on mission. The mission that God has given us from his son, Jesus Christ, if you're saved, is to go declare his glory, to make his works known, to make his way known to a world that needs to hear it. But most of the time, we don't point others to Christ. We try to point others to ourselves. How are we going to help anyone? But then the fourth point, if we had a bigger God, we'd realize that you always have a reason to sing. And this point specifically will wrap up next week, but if our view of God was truly big, that he is the God of the universe, that his mercy is more, that God is great, he is powerful, he is awesome, all the things that we sing about, then it wouldn't just be, well, I'm going to sing here in church, but I'm not going to sing praises everywhere else. Well, I just don't have a reason to sing. I just don't have anything to praise God for. Yes, you do. You have so much to praise God for. But we can't look past our own problems. We can't look past our own struggles. And what Habakkuk is showing us, as well as Judah, you always have a reason to sing. I think of so many references in the Bible. I mean, you think of what Paul and Silas, where were they at when they were singing? In jail, in prison. Now, to me, that's not really a place that, oh, yeah, I'm just going to break out in song because I'm excited that I'm in prison, especially for doing something that I didn't do, you know, getting thrown in here falsely. Like, yeah, I'm just going to start singing. But what that showed me is that their view of God was big enough that, you know what, I don't like this situation I'm in, but I'm going to praise God anyway. You see, in these verses, Habakkuk recounts that God has been active in the past. That's, that's what he's telling us whether you understand all the language or not. He has been active in the past, and he especially is focusing on the Exodus, their time in the wilderness, the crossing of the Jordan River. You see, that was a period in which God repeatedly worked spectacular miracles. By recounting all of this, God is saying, have you forgotten what I did in the past? You see, sometimes, many times, we have to be reminded, right? How many times do you have to remind your kids the same thing that you've told them 158,000 times? Yes, they need to be reminded. But how many of us as adults need to be reminded 159,000 times? Because we forget, because we fail to do what we're supposed to do. We, I've talked about this. We like to go off on our kids when they're acting up, when we're doing the same stupid things that they're doing. But how dare you? Well, mom and dad, you're not doing that. And I know it's very easy to laugh at, but it's, it's true because kids, kids see, they, they see through us. They see through their parents. Basically, they're calling us hypocrites, but they don't even know what the word is, and they don't even know how to say the word, especially like my six-year-old, hip, hip, whatever. That's what you are. <laughs> but <laughs> that's the reality. So God is saying, and he's been saying to Habakkuk, have you not forgotten, or have you forgotten what I already did for you in the past? And here's the key truth of this whole lesson today. If God did it before, he can do it again. If God did it before, he can do it again. And you know what I've learned? That God has done it before, and he has done it again, and again, and again, and again. 
And yet we still forget. We still fail him. Our faith still falters. Why? Because we forget that he's done it before. He will do it again and continue to do it again. So how is our view of God? What do we do when we feel like the world is just collapsing on us? We cry out to God and worship. We see what cannot be seen. We cannot see the face of God, but we see his presence everywhere. God, I've seen you do it before. God, I know you'll do it again. Really, that's, that's the prayer that all of us need. Whether you come forward here in a second invitation or in your seat, God, I know you've worked in my life. It's apparent. And I know you'll do it again. So do it again. And live that way. And know that you always have a reason to sing. Let's pray.